0: Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning. And we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. One of the cheesiest of the cheesy Christian 90s soft rock groups was a band called For Him. That's right, the number 4 H-I-M. For Him. They broke up in 2006 because, you know, cheese eventually goes bad. Well, it was pretty... F- Come on. It's mean, but pretty funny, right? Now, For Him's catchiest song, which I will admit to having fallen in love with for a little while, is called Measure of a Man. I'm pretty sure there's a mixtape somewhere. And yes, I'm talking about an actual audio cassette with Measure of a Man on it. And the first verse... And the chorus of this song goes like this. I'm not going to sing. Don't worry. This world can analyze and size you up and throw you on the scales. They can IQ you and run you through their rigorous details. They can do their best to rate you and they'll place you on their charts and then back it up with scientific smarts. But there's more to what you're worth than what their human eyes can see. Oh, I say the measure of a man is not how tall you stand, how wealthy or intelligent you are. Because I found out the measure of a man God knows and understands. For he looks inside to the bottom of your heart. And what's in the heart defines the measure of a man. Now with the exception of their clearly ridiculous claim that how tall you stand is not an appropriate way to measure the worth of a person, this sounds pretty good, right? This lines up with what we've been told our whole lives. Don't judge a book by its cover. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of a world in which his children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And this is biblical, too, When the Lord tells Samuel to anoint a new king for Israel and he sends him to the house of Jesse, Samuel, the prophet, assumes that God is going to pick one of Jesse's older, manly, impressive sons. But no, God picks David, who seemed so unlikely that he hadn't even been called in from the field for the ceremony. And in the midst of it, actually, in the midst of the Lord's rejection of Jesse's eldest son, we get God's description of how he decides the measure of a man, which is just like for him, says it is. Quote, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, I want to be perfectly clear. Not judging a book by its cover and not judging a person by the color of their skin or any other particular thing about them or set of things about them, even their impressive height, is right. It is what we are called to do. To assume that someone is better or worse, more or less righteous, more or less a creature made in the image of God is the sin of partiality. And we are to confess it, repent of it, and mortify it. God shows no partiality. And neither should we. His looking to the core, to the heart, is the great equalizer. So the fact that God looks on the heart of a person, every person, is a truth that is good to know. It's a truth that is good to believe. And believing this truth will lead to good and equitable practice. But there's an important distinction to be made here. The fact that God looks on the heart, while totally true and good to know is not good news. Let me tell you what I mean. In our reading from Matthew 15, Jesus is talking about how a person becomes defiled, that is made unclean or forced to be separate from a holy God. He says that it's not what goes into a person's mouth that defiles them, but what comes out. When he's pressed to explain himself, he acknowledges that he's not really and finally talking about food. Whatever goes into the mouth, he says, enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. To eat with unwashed hands does not defile. So yes, in this specific example, he's talking about food, but his point is much broader. It's not the things you do that get you into trouble. It's the person you are. It's your heart. The prophet Jeremiah presages this with his observation that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And he seems to throw up his hands. Who can understand it, he asks. The Bible seems determined to tell us two things. One, it's what's in your heart that God cares about. And two, a God who sees the heart will find everyone guilty. So for him is on the right track. It's not all the measurable stuff on the outside that determines your worth. That's how the world thinks. What color is your skin? How much money do you have? How smart are you? How well adjusted are your kids? How many friends have you brought to church? For him suggests that it's what's in the heart that defines the measure of a man. But they say it like it's good news. Listen to Jesus' description of your insides. Out of the heart, your heart, come evil intentions. Murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Now we react and say, I don't do any of those things. Well, in fact, there are those among us who have. And even if we might successfully argue that we haven't killed anyone or cheated on our spouse, that reaction is just going back to the way the world measures things, forgetting that God looks deeper. It is out of the heart that evil intentions come, and murder, and adultery, and so on. It is the seed of these things that is the root of sin. Remember our first great mistake from last week. We can never say, I'm not that bad. Coveting is theft. Lust is adultery. Anger is murder according to Jesus. We are, he says, liable to the hell of fire. We are that bad. Remember, our deceitful hearts expose us as being just like Joseph's murderous, brothers. So let's go back to the story of Joseph and his brothers for a moment. We read its conclusion this morning. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers who are sure that he's going to rain down fiery vengeance upon them. But he doesn't. Instead, as we said last week, he meets their great sin with an even greater grace. And this is a prefiguring of how God will on the cross meet your great sin with his greater grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, both holy God and perfect Savior, offering his goodness in exchange for your sin. So, what does this mean? In light of the way in which the God of the Bible deals with sinners bearing the weight of their sin in himself and thereby forgiving them, how should we look at Joseph's brothers now? Well, how does Joseph look at them? Certainly he doesn't seek revenge against them, not at all. He cares for them, he provides for them to the third generation. He assures them that by his hand they will survive. What does Joseph see when he looks at his brothers? What is his measure of these men? Is it the for him measurement? Is it what's in their hearts that defines them for him? Actually, no. In Luke 7, Jesus tells a little parable to Simon the Pharisee, who was offended that Jesus has allowed a sinful woman to anoint and kiss his feet. Jesus says, A certain moneylender has two debtors, people who owe him money. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. And then Jesus turns to the woman, this sinful woman, and he points out all the loving care she has showered on him and compares it to the lack of care that he has received from Simon, his host. And then he tells Simon why. This woman, Jesus says, has loved so much because she has been forgiven so much. Much. She was a great sinner, and now her sins are forgiven. Joseph sees his brothers now, just like Jesus sees this woman. When he looks at them, when he takes their measurements, he doesn't see men who tried to kill him. He doesn't see their wicked hearts. Instead, he sees Men who have been forgiven much. And this is how we Christians are measured. Remember that Joseph tells his brothers that what they intended for evil, God used for good. In other words, their sin was swallowed up by God's grace. This is the good news. That it is not what is naturally in our hearts that defines us. Thank God. We are defined instead by what God has done for us, not by our sin, but by the grace of God that has swallowed it up. And this is how to redeem the sin of partiality. For sure, we don't make assumptions about someone based on what they look like one way or another. But we don't overcome partiality by promising ourselves never to judge a book by its cover and instead trying to look inside someone's heart. That won't work either. All we'll find there is the same sin and depravity that we find in ourselves. And that's the key. Partiality is met and overcome by the realization that all have sinned and fall short the glory of God, that all are created in God's image and can be equal recipients of the saving work of his son, Jesus Christ, that all who believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved. God shows no partiality, but it's not because of the goodness he finds in our hearts. It's because of the goodness he showers on us through the grace of Jesus Christ. So what is the true measure of a man? For him was half right. It's not how tall you stand or how wealthy or intelligent you are. It's nothing about you. It's all about Jesus. The true measure of a person is how much he or she has been forgiven. How completely his or her sins have been covered by the blood of the lamb. How eternally he or she will live in the presence of God. Worshipping before his throne. And by this standard, says St. Paul, no one can boast. And we are all the same. Jew and Greek. Man and woman. Servant and master. We are one in Christ Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, washed white by his blood. Measured by your own merits, you must die. Measured by Christ's goodness given to you for free, you are redeemed remade and raised to new life in him. This is actually true. A new life of worship, of celebration. A life in which we celebrate not how much we've done, but how much we've been forgiven. Amen.